And chapter number 2 of 1 Thessalonians begins to address these things, and we're going to look at it here in just a moment. But as you begin to think about how God orchestrates everything, whether in your personal life, whether in the ministry of the local church, whether in your, 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 your personal ministry itself, I shared this with our, our Sunday school class a few minutes ago. Some of you might say this morning, you know what, I'm not in the ministry, so therefore I don't have a personal ministry. I would disagree. I believe every single one of us that is in this auditorium right this very moment, if you are a child of God, you have a personal ministry. You don't, you don't have to be called to the ministry to have a personal ministry. You see, as a child of God, God says, hey, now that I have you, not only for eternity, I want you to use you in whatever capacity that I so choose. And Paul here is helping us to understand and to see what an effective ministry, what an effective ministering looks like, what, what characteristics are to be portrayed as you labor for Christ every step of the way. There are certain words that are going to be used here as Paul begins to address not only himself, but also those who are ministering with him. He's also going to address things in such a way where he's going to use key words and statements. Some of those words are with a negative connotation where they are saying things about Paul and those that were ministering with him. Some of the things that Paul is going to address are going to be words that are harsh words and words that are also pleasant words. But all of it together, Paul begins to address it. And Paul's not one who ever shied away. I don't think Paul, as, as Paul is, as you, you study, you'll find that Paul is coming from the, the church of Philippi. And as he is in Philippi, you go back to the book of Philippians, which is one of my favorites. And, and in, the, in the church of Philippi, as you, as you see that Paul is writing to them, as you see the writings itself, and Paul is coming from there, he's just, he's just been taken captive, he's just been found in jail, he's just been mocked, he's just been falsely accused of all of those many things. And it never robbed Paul of his joy. Paul understood one thing. As you think about Paul's life story, Paul understood that there was always something that God had in store for him to accomplish. He was unwilling to slack off. He was not willing to just take some time off. He understood that there was a, a great work to be done. And so Paul begins to address these things and he begins to point the people to seeing what their church was taking place and he begins to address the ministry there and how it was thriving and how it was an effective ministry. And so this morning I ask you this question. Every single one of us this evening, both personal and, and also corporate ministries, you think about the church here and what God is trying to accomplish within our church and also what God is trying to accomplish in your own life, what do others see? When they look at the ministry of Gateway Baptist Church and they say, hey, Gateway Baptist Church, how would they describe Gateway Baptist Church? As they look at Gateway Baptist Church, as they begin to list the characteristics, things that are seen, whether uh, from a from a, a, a up up close standpoint or from a distance, what would they say about Gateway Baptist Church? But then let's take it a step further. You see, step further, we begin to see that this local ministry right here, Gateway Baptist Church, is comprised of personal ministries right here. And so, when you begin to think about your own personal testimony, what do people see within your ministry itself? You see, you've been provided a ministry in the home. You've been provided a ministry in your workplace. You've been provided a ministry in your associations with people and how you can affect them. When people look at you and they maybe mention your name, something pops into their head. Well, Paul has just been slandered. He's just been accused. He's just been mocked. He's just been ridiculed. He, a lot of things that were falsely accused of him have been said. And Paul says, hold up now. 
Well, let, 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 let's if we're gonna we're gonna say things, let's right let's get right to the facts. You know, when when people come to you and they might begin to talk about you, I don't know about you, but whenever certain things are said, I like to get right to the facts. I like to, to figure out what it is. And so if someone were to come and to, uh, to accuse me or if they want to start talking about whatever the case might be, I like to say, okay, well, let's, let's step back here and let's just go right from this one. Let's start right here. Let's start right here. Now, that's me, whether it's sports or not. You know, if somebody wants to talk sports, I like to, to throw out statistics too. That's just, that's just how I am. But I like to get right to it. Paul says, hold up now. We're going to get right to it. Notice what he says, verse number 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you. That it was not in vain. So immediately Paul jumps right into it. He says, now hold up for just a second. The things that have been brought to you, the, the accusations that have been said, the, the lies that have brought to you, the, 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 the characteristics that were being portrayed as though I am, you know the things. You see, when he is making this statement right here in verse number 1, when he says, for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, you go back to the book of Psalms and you'll find many times in the book of Psalms that, that it was David who would be writing some of these Psalms and he would tell the Lord to prove him. And what he would be saying whenever he is telling the Lord to prove him is he would be saying it in such a way that he would say, Lord, you know my heart. And when, when David was saying that, he was saying it in such a way that he would say, hey, the enemy is trying to do this, the enemy is saying this, the enemy is going about it this way, but God, you know my heart. Oh, Lord, try my heart. Lord, you already know what's there. Lord, you know that I'm right in my standing. And some of those times in which David was writing, he would say, Lord, prove these things. That's exactly what uh, you see here when Paul is saying, know our entrance under you. Hey, you guys were there. You were right in the midst of it. When we came unto you, you saw us, you, you understood, you, you were the ones that we were trying to affect and trying to, uh, to be a blessing to. The Bible says, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto the gospel of God. With much contention. Now this statement right here, with much contention, speaks of something that's not always easy. We'll get right down into the nitty gritty here in a few moments, but they faced some trials. It wasn't something that was just a cakewalk that they faced. They weren't able just to approach this, this body of believers and this group of people right here in such a way that they just were, were able to walk right up to them and present these things. No, it was something that had to be worked for. If you go and you study the life of Paul, you'll find that much of what Paul had done was something that always faced contention because when you're trying to do something for God, the devil and the enemy is not pleased. I shared this in the, the Sunday school classroom for just a few moments, but whenever you begin to think about your personal ministry and your personal life as a Christian, one of the things that you should take into consideration is that if you have never or that you never do face opposition, and by opposition I mean you just know that the devil is fighting, that should bring some concern to you. You ought to be concerned. You see, the devil is not offended at the fact that you showed up to the house of God this morning. Matter of fact, he doesn't care one bit that you showed up to the house of God. Because if you didn't show up to the house of God with the right spirit, with a heart that is prepared, with a mind that is clear, with a heart that is ready to receive and to listen to the word of God being preached, and then all of a sudden go and deliver that word, he doesn't care. But the moment you tell the Lord, Lord, not only am I going to show up to the house of God this morning, Lord, I'm getting right with you. Lord, I want you to speak to me. Lord, I want you to give to me something that I can, can dwell on and, and think on. And Lord, may it affect my heart and my life. And Lord, may I go out transformed and live a life for you. And Lord, may I take it to a lost and dying world and do something for you. Then all of a sudden the devil says, hold up now. 
I, I didn't I, go back to this right here. Be be a Christian that doesn't care to do much for God. Don't be a Christian that's sold out. Don't be a Christian that's given. Don't be a Christian that says, hey, I want to not only hear the Word of God, but I want to go and declare the Word of God. Don't, don't do all of that. And so you begin to see the devil is always fighting, he says, with much contention. But he goes on in verse number 3, For our exhort, uh, exhortation was not of deceit, nor of cleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome, as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her child. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses in God also. How holily and justly and unblamely we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as father as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. As you come to chapter number 2, Paul begins to address all of this, and it gets right into it. First, number 1, he begins to say very simply, hey, you, you're aware, you were there, you, you understand what was taking place. And then as he jumps into the enemy and the, the, the contention that was taking place, then he begins to address all of the many things that were said about him. And he says, these things are untrue, for ye are witnesses in God also. And you think about these things this, this morning, I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself and to be honest in such a way that you say, Lord, show me my personal ministry. Lord, reveal this morning the things that I need to deal with. Lord, if I don't have an, an effective personal ministry, Lord, if I'm not ministering as a child of God ought to, Lord, reveal that. Lord, if you've opened some doors in my home and in my workplace and in my neighborhood and my influence around those who I associate with, Lord, may you deal with me in such a way, Lord, where I understand that I need to do a better job. And may the Lord deal with us this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to find ourselves dealing with this effective ministry here and ask the Lord to be with us. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, what a blessing it is to gather, Lord, with the church family. Lord, we thank you for the visitors. We thank you for those who've been able to make it. We thank you for those who are on the live stream. Lord, I pray that you would just meet with us in a special way. Lord, help us understand the importance of having an effective personal ministry. Lord, may we not always come to the place, Lord, where we're only talking about the corporate ministry and what our church is doing. But, Lord, may we come to the place where we say, yes, God is blessing the church, but, Lord, I want you to use me. And, Lord, may we come to the place, Lord, where we desire so greatly, Lord, that you would work through us in a special way. Help us to understand that we need to die to self. Help us understand that you have a cause. Help us understand, Lord, that there's always a purpose in all things, and we'll thank you for it. Lord, I pray that you would be in myself as I preach. Lord, that you would empty me of self, forgive me of sin, and fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that I would preach the word. Lord, nothing but. And we'll thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. Let's jump right into it. Number 1, we see Paul's entrance here. 
Paul's entrance. As you see right here in verse number 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Paul, as you go and you begin to study his life, Paul was one who understood the importance of time. You go to the book of James and you begin to see as James in that chapter, as you begin to see that time is not something that is promised. We don't know if tomorrow is promised. We don't understand that, hey, the time that we have right this very moment is a blessing. But you also come to understand and come to realize that Paul was one who didn't like wasting time and he understood that he didn't have time to waste. Paul says many times as he is addressing the people, he he is trying to get them to understand that there needs to be a work done. And that there's only so much time to get that work done and that he couldn't waste time. He didn't have time just to lollygag around. Paul wasn't one that whenever you said make haste, he said, I'll be there when I get there. Paul, when you said make haste, was one that said, okay, I'm hurrying, I'm running, I'll, I'll be there as quickly as I can. Paul wasn't one that was willing to slack at any point in his life. As a matter of fact, as he gets to the end of his life, he, he doesn't want to be a castaway. He says, Lord, don't stop using me, Lord, I want to be used. If you go back to 2018, and you think about your own life personally, and you know how much time you waste. Every single one of us wastes a certain amount of time, and so we must ask ourselves, Lord, am I wasting any of the time that you've given to us? Go back to, the, to 2018, and I'm sure that the numbers have risen as social media really has just taken everything over, and, and uh, many are staying at home now, and, and, and some have still not gotten back to work, and all those many things because of COVID and all of that. But just back in 2018, a study was done on the amount of time that the average American wastes. And you have to figure the average American sleeps about six and a half to seven hours of sleep. And so 35 hours of your day or your, your week is given to sleep alone. But it was a study was done on how much time is wasted and over 22 hours a week was wasted. Now, you, you might be thinking, well, let's break it down. Let's, that, that means it's only about four and a half hours a, a day that's wasted. That's a lot of time of wasting. You say, 22 hours a week, that, that doesn't sound too bad. We have X amount of hours in a week. That can't be too... No, 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 no. Four and a half almost hours a day that's wasted. Now, you, you say, well, I don't waste four and a half hours. Well, how much time do you waste? You think about your time and you begin to go back and you begin to say, Lord, am I, am I wasting any bit of time, or whether it's investing in things that are just nonsense or investing in this or that, and, and Lord, am I wasting time and not being an effective Christian like I ought to be? Paul was unwilling. Paul says, hey, there, there's no time to waste. Paul understood this. He says, for our entrance, brethren, know our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. He goes on and begins to talk about some of these things. And you begin to go to Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 11 as it says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Ephesians 5.16, he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. As you go and you study the life of Paul, Paul's entire testimony and Paul's entire life was found and summarized in three different phrases. The first phrase was the phrase, wake up. Paul was oftentimes trying to get people to understand that they needed to wake up. Can I share with you this morning that as we live in 2021 that far too many Christians have fallen back asleep. We need to wake up. We need to understand that God is trying to accomplish something in not only the local church, but also in the body of believers. He's trying to accomplish something in you, and He's trying to accomplish something in me. And as we find ourselves saying, hey, I want to give this much time, but Lord, that's only the amount of time I'm going to give you. We're wasting our time. Every single day, God has a plan. Every single day, God has a purpose. Every single day, the Lord says, hey, I want to do this through you. 
But you need to wake up. You got to wake up. Paul was also found not only saying that people needed to wake up, but he was also found as you go and you study that people needed to clean up. He said, Well, what are you talking about? Quit living in sin. We're living in a society today that is consumed with sin and it's, it's consumed with churches and, and people and, and, and individuals that are trying to proclaim that sin is okay in our modern day. Hey, God doesn't mind if you sin a little bit. God doesn't mind if you just you know, do this every once in a while. As long as you love God, everything's going to be okay. I'm sorry, but that contradicts everything that I find in that book right there. And we find ourselves coming to a portion of Scripture today, and Paul is trying to get the people to understand some things, but as you go and you study Paul's life, he's saying, hey, do you not know that there's so much more to this life than living in that sin and that that nasty lifestyle? Hey, you need to clean up. You need to start living for God and stop living in sin and stop giving yourself to all of these things. And not only do you need to clean up, but you need to wake up. Then the final thing is you go and you study the life of Paul, Paul addresses this multiple times in Scripture, and it's summarized by this, grow up. I wonder how many of us as Christians are satisfied with being milk Christians. Well, you say, what's a milk Christian? A milk Christian is one that, that, that doesn't desire to feed on the meat of God's Word. No, a milk Christian is satisfied with just being mediocre, with just kind of going through the motions, just trying to, 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 to be at the house of God every once in a while, but that's perfectly fine. And a milk Christian is not one that really desires to just dwell with the Lord and spend time with the Lord and, and really get in God's Word and get all the meat that they can get to grow. Now listen, there, there came a time whenever Jackson and Holly were born that they needed the milk. But guess what? You know what Holly wants now? She wants the steak. She wants the meat. She, you go and you ask her, hey, do you want some baby food? She says, no, I want real food is what she'll tell you. She wants the real stuff. As a child of God, can I share with you that God's intention was never for you to live on the baby food. He said, hey, transition from the baby food to the real stuff. Hey, I've got so much more for you. I've got so much meat for you. And Paul is trying to get people to understand, hey, it's time to grow up. There are people that come to your mind. There are people that come to my mind that whenever you begin to talk about that individual, the statement comes to your mind, that person needs to just grow up. Can I share with you? I wonder as people look at us as, as Christians and the ministry that we have and the, the, the ministry concerning our personal ministry, if people look at us and say, you know what? They could be used so mightily of God if they just would grow up. Man. They could be used so mightily of God if they would just wake up. Man, they could, just be, they could be used. They're so talented if they just would clean up, if they'd stop living in sin, if they'd stop trying to, to, to convince everybody that their sin is okay, and if they'd stop convincing everybody that, hey, they don't have to wake up right now, that there's still plenty of time. Can I share with you that you're not promised tomorrow? Wake up. Paul is trying to get the people to understand these things. And Paul begins to deal with all of this as he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil in Ephesians 5.16. That word redeeming, it speaks to make wise. It's a, it's a sacred use of every opportunity. Simply put, it means to, to buy up is what he is saying. And so can I illustrate this for just a moment with you as he says in Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He's saying this, hey, buy up all the days that you can for God and do something great for God. Hey, if you're going to do something, do it for God. If you're going to live, live for the Lord. If you're going to accomplish something wonderful, do it for the glory of God. 
He's not unwilling that he would be given his time to things that were not worthy of that time. Because in verse number 1 he says, that it was not in vain. Can I share with you, there are some things that we pursue that are vain pursuits. There are some things that we are giving our time to that are vain things. It was one century later after Paul wrote to the church here that you find people being beheaded. That you find people being killed and people that are are trying to do a work for God, but they're burned and they're buried and they're boiled and butchered all along the way. There are people who understood that, hey, the name of Christ had to be exalted, even if that meant that they had to die for that sake. Now we don't even want to proclaim the name of Christ because it might offend someone in the store. Hey, stop praying. We don't pray at the table anymore because, hey, if the, the people over there, if they're looking funny at us, that might, that might just cause a little bit of awkward situation. You know what you ought to do if you're praying as a family and someone's looking at you and staring at you and say, you want me to include you in this in prayer? Come on over here. Let's hold hands and pray together. You, we, we, get, we get so caught up in, in what people perceive of us that we forget that they ought to perceive us as being a Christian. We say, what if they know we're a Christian? Good, they ought to know that you're a Christian. Paul, Paul is not ashamed. Paul's not willing that the, 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 vain, the, the time that he spent there that they would say it was in vain because it wasn't in vain. The word vain speaks of empty. It speaks of devoid of truth. It speaks of destitute. A work that has no results. It speaks of fruitless. I wonder sometimes. You know, there are people that will always say something just to say something. There are people in, the, in our modern day that will try to discourage the work of God, that will try to discourage you as you're serving the Lord. And they will say things like this. You're trying to serve the Lord and they'll say, oh, you're just wasting your time. There's no business in doing all that. And they'll say things like, you've been doing that for over a year and y'all still haven't seen all these great results and this and that. Oh, you've, you've, you've been at it for this amount of time and, and this hasn't happened and this hasn't happened and this hasn't happened. And in those moments, you'll be tempted to say, you know what, are they right? But then as you go back, and you begin to realize that our time that we worship the Lord and our time that we serve the Lord is not so that we can yield results, it's so that we can just give our lives to Him and see what He does with it. You know, there are certain missionaries that have gone on the, 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 the mission field that were only able to see a handful of people saved. They'd be spending the, the, their time for, for years on the mission field and would only see X amount of people saved. And they might would come back and they'd say, hey, just got back from the mission field. Someone would say, oh, you were there for 10 years. You only saw 15 people saved. You must have wasted those 10 years. Can I share with you, I guarantee you, those missionaries will look you in your face and say, no. You know why? Because the value of one. It was worth it. And guess what? Not only was it worth it, but it was God's perfect will for my life. And God had a plan. The enemy's always trying to discourage. Just a few years ago, <clears throat> I'll never find out who it is unless they just make themselves known. Um, but just a few years ago, I was pastoring this church and received a, a text message. And again, you know this about me. I don't get my feelings hurt. You could come up to me right now and tell me this was the worst sermon I ever preached. And I'd say, well, take it up with God. He laid it on my heart to preach it. I just don't get offended. There's no sense in it. If you get offended, you 
don't be in the ministry. I'll tell you that. But they sent a text message to me. And again, I don't know who it is. don't know if I'll ever find out. But they said, short story, very simply, they said, you've been there for X amount of years and God's not done anything in your ministry since you've been there and, and your church is the most unfriendly church and you're the worst pastor and you, you, this and that and you don't, you're not a good preacher and you, this and your people are, I mean, you just go on. And the flesh steps in and you want to say, hold up. Let me find out who this person is. Matter of fact, let me find out who this person is and let me go ahead and see if I can be at their front porch. That's what, that's what the flesh says. But can I share with you, and I probably devoted way too much time to this than I should have, but I probably spent two weeks thinking on that. Here's why. I didn't want someone thinking our ministry here was unfruitful. I didn't want somebody thinking that our church was the most unfriendly church. I didn't want somebody thinking that, hey, God wasn't working here and, and that, that I wasn't effectively preaching the word. I didn't want God, God's word and, and God's will for our church and, and, and what I thought was best for the church or whatever, you know, to creep in. I didn't, I didn't want, uh, you know, all of these many things that they said to be, be true. And so I spent about two weeks probably thinking about this. Who in the world would say this? How, how do I figure this out and this and that and that? And then I went back. I said, hold up. Let me think on when I walk into the church, what I see in the church. Let me go back and talk to some of the people who've been in our church. And what I began to find out is that all the things that they had been saying were the furthest thing from the truth. Our church was known as one of the most friendly churches. People would be coming in and say, man, your church has made us feel welcome. I began to, to go back and I began to reflect on the, the souls that we had been able to reach and the, the people that were serving and all of these many things. And I began to think and I said, you know what, they're wrong. All of those many things, those characteristics that they were trying to describe about Gateway Baptist Church is false. And I guarantee you, I'll probably never know who it is. If it was one of you, just come to the altar later and ask for forgiveness, all right? But it was just an attempt at the enemy to discourage the preacher and the church that God wasn't doing here. And if they were to come to me now, I would give them the grace that I would want if I were to be in that situation. And I were to say, well, let me just explain to you for a few moments what God has done and is doing. Paul understood that what was being said about him was not true. The word vain, again, speaks of something that is empty, devoid of truth, destitute, a work that has no results. It's fruitless. Paul understood that his work was not in vain. In 1 Corinthians, you find that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Paul, speaking here, is helping us understand that, hey, sharing the gospel is not in vain. Serving the Lord is not in vain. Working for God is not in vain. Hiding God's word in your heart is not in vain. Living for the Lord is not in vain. Don't let the devil tell you that it's in vain, because God will press it on. It's not in vain. 
Paul was unwilling that he would be accused of these things, but not only that he would be accused of these things, but his ministry and what God had intended for him to do would be said of that. You go and you do something for God, you can just best believe that the devil's not going to be pleased with it. You go and you try to live a holy life and you best believe that temptation is right around the corner because the devil is not pleased with it. You go and you as a family say, you know what, we are going to commit ourselves to the Lord. We're going to do a great work for God. We're going to sell out to the Lord. You just best believe the devil's waiting to get his foot in the door. He's always lurking around. But can I share with you, as hard as the devil works, and as hard as the devil and the enemy and those who try to discourage the work of God, they have no match compared to our God. He's too powerful. Paul here begins to relay his entrance. Number two will be done with number two this morning. We'll come back to this. We see Paul's enemies. He says, But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. As I've already made mention to, Satan doesn't like when we give our lives to the Lord as we're yielded and sold out to God. If you want to be a, a casual Christian in, in the sense of your, your mentality of worship to the Lord and reverence to God and, and what you give to God, you go and be that. And Satan's not going to be offended by that. If you say, hey, I'm going to give God the, the bare minimum, Satan's going to say, hey, you do it and I'll support you in it. You need financial blessing? Got it right here. Hey, you, 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 you want to you wanna reach a, a, the, the most people on Instagram? I'll send them your way. If you want to have the biggest following on Facebook, I'm right around the corner. I'll send them. Satan will, hey, he'll, he'll give you every opportunity to go against God. You look for it, you'll find it. It's not what Paul begins to address these things. He says right here in verse number 2, but even after that we had suffered, that word suffer speaks of as a result of outside forces or circumstances. It's speaking of something that is physically, mentally, financially, or an inconvenience to someone. It speaks of vexing or simply put to suffer. You see, we're warned about these things in Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse number 12, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." J. Oswald Sanders, or Chambers, was known for saying this, if you're going to be used by God, He will take you through a multitude of experiences, notice this, that are not meant for you. As a matter of fact, they are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful in His hands. You ever wonder sometimes why the Lord allowed you to go through something? You say, Lord, why did you allow this? Wasn't it for you? so that He could make it useful in His hands. So that He could bring you through it and God would use your your trial, your struggle, to bring to fruition what He had intended. He says, hey, we've suffered some and we're shamefully entreated as we know at Philippi. We were bold in our God speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. This statement with much contention as we're going to get to begins to speak of, uh, it's a sports term. It speaks of agony. It speaks of a contest, a struggle, a trial, if you would. The people understood the the sports analogies as competition was major uh, in that area and in that time. And so Paul would often use these sports analogies to get their attention, to help them to understand. And he says, hey, you're going to be met with much contention. There's going to be times whenever you feel as though it's in agony. It's going to be times in which you feel that the trial is, is so heavy. It's a contest that you just can't get through. There were times in, 
in college whenever we would do the workouts and we would have the early workouts at 5 in the morning and we would go and our legs would just be, be burned. I mean, not burnt like sunburnt. I mean burnt like you, you, they just toast. You, you couldn't walk. You're trying to walk to, to class and you're having to hold on the railing and you're having to do this and do that. And to, just to sit down, you had to do one of these things right here where you're, you know, you're crawling over and whenever you get up, your face is all red. And I mean, it, it hurt. It was agony. I mean, our, our basketball coach, his, his son was the personal trainer. I don't know how many times we'd walk past him and just tell him we hated him. <laughs> I hate you. I can't believe you put us through this. Have you done it? No. Just figured you guys would like it. No, we don't like it. We don't like you anymore. <laughs> don't put someone through something if you haven't tried it yourself. Man, that's like putting a, a, a what's that taser in somebody's hand that's never used a taser. It's dangerous. It's like, man, my legs are toast. That agony, that pain. Paul says, hey, we were met with great contention, with much contention. Can I share with you this morning your personal ministry, whether in your home, whether in your workplace, whether in your neighborhood, the, the friends that you have, the, the fellowship, whatever, that you, could, you, you have much influence. There's going to be times of opposition. There's going to be times whenever it seems as though you're not getting anything through. But can I share with you, it's always worth it. Live for God. I don't know how many times that I've gone back in my own mind and, and walked through the last six years and even further back in there and, and just reminisced on what was taking place. And there were some times that were not some pleasant times. And I'd say, man, I'm so glad I'm through that. But I look back and I rejoice because through it all, God was good. As you think about all those things in your own personal ministry, listen, we're not, even, we're not even through half of what chapter number two of this book of the Bible right here has to say. But Paul here is helping us understand that, hey, with the time that you have, give it to God. You're not promised tomorrow. If the enemy begins to say something about you, go back and take into consideration the source that it's coming through and, and go back in your mind and say, is it true? You know, the other side of it is true as well. Some of us are living in sin. And someone brings to, our, to us the sin that we're living in, and instead of acknowledging that sin, we try to play it off like it's not a big deal. And that's not right either. But when the, the enemy comes to you and begins to try to bring things up and say this or that and tries to say, hey, you're not being a useful Christian, take it serious. Say, am I? Am I, am I being an effective Christian? Am, am I being one that is being used of God? We won't spend time here. I'm just going to read these verses with you. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 3. He says, For our ex exhortation was not of deceit. He said, These are the things that it was not. They claim that it was deceit. We didn't deceit you. There was no deceit. There was no deceiving. Nor uncleanness, nor in guile. That word uncleanness begins to address things. And they were saying that Paul was immoral, that Paul was encouraging them to live immoral lifestyles and live in sin. It was not in guile. There was no lies. It was genuine. It was real. There was no falsehood in that. But as we were allowed of God to be put in the trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Now, this is where I want you to understand this. Paul says, hey, I didn't preach the things to you to please you. Matter of fact, you probably got mad while I was preaching these things. I didn't preach these things so that you would come and pat me on the back and say, Hey, Paul, the great Paul, thank you for that message. No, that's not what I did. 
He goes on, he says right here, not as pleasing men. The things that I proclaimed were not because of you or for you or to, 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 uh, to, to make sure that you were puffing me up. No, it was for God. He says, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words. We weren't trying to, to get you to, to, to understand things in, in a certain way that you would puff us up. And, and these were kind and, and sweet words. He says, ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. God knows. Prove me, Lord. Nor of men sought we glory. We didn't seek any glory from mankind. Neither of you, nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Paul is saying, hey, the things that I brought to you, those things were not for you to puff us up. Those things were not to please you. Can I illustrate it this way? And I'm closing. When the preacher stands behind the pulpit and proclaims the Word of God, many of you have come, and many of you, and, I, and I, you have to understand what I'm saying here, will walk up to me and say, Pastor, thank you for that message. That was a wonderful message. And listen, I appreciate that. But I say, this to, say that to say this. I don't seek your approval. Not that I don't appreciate what you're saying. Because here's what you have to understand. There are going to be times, and if you were to go to some churches, they'll preach things, and you'll say, oh, I'm so glad that they preached that because that's where I stand. Hold up. But is it where God stands? You see, the moment I start seeking the approval of man, I start catering to what you want me to preach. You living in that sin? You want me to touch on that? I got you. I got you. All right, I won't preach on that. Hey, so you, don't, so you do believe that you can do this and you don't want me to preach on this. But, God, but God's Word says, okay, you, you sure? You, you want me to take your Word? Not, okay, I will. Are you going to be happy with me? Every single time that I get up behind the pulpit, and this should be every preacher's aim, you stand behind the pulpit and say, God, help me to preach truth. Lord, don't help me to rely upon my own thoughts and my own, my own mind and what I think needs to be said. Lord, help me to preach, thus saith the Word of God. And as you come to Paul, Paul is saying, hey, I didn't speak those things to get a pat on the back. I spoke those things because God entrusted me to preach the Word and nothing but Paul begins to address what's taking place, and there's so much more that we're going to get to as we continue to walk through this passage. But can I ask you this question? Do you have an effective personal ministry? Is God able to use you? Are you giving? Are you saying, ah, oh, I'm, just, I'm just satisfied with just a, you know, a, a, a little bit. I'll experience a blessing here and there. Can I ask you this question? If you took your car to a mechanic, you said, I need someone to fix this. They said, okay. Do you want, you want like an okay job? You want like good or do you want me to, you want me to really, I mean, give you the best job there is? You're not going to look at that guy and say, I'll take okay. No, you're going to look at him and say, you clown, I want the best. Why would I come to you if I didn't want the best? I wonder how many of us approach God and say, Lord, do you want okay? you want good or you want the best? And we just assume that God's okay with us just giving a little bit. He says, no. You want an effective ministry? You want to be used in a mighty way? 
sell out. Don't give, don't give way to that sin. As Paul said, it's time to wake up, it's time to clean up, and it's time to grow up. So child of God, where are you? Do you need to wake up this morning? Do you need to clean yourself up this morning? Or do you need to grow up this morning? May God use us in an effective way. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, you're such a gracious God. Lord, I believe it's every single one of us as an aim that we have that, Lord, we do want to be used. The flesh is always present, though. Man, how we give way to the flesh oftentimes. Lord, I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to walk through this life saying, I gave God just a little bit and miss out. Lord, I want to give you all that I have and watch what you do with it. I pray that you would be this invitation. Be of those who need to spend some time at this altar, Lord. Draw them. Help us, Lord, this morning to do serious business with you. Help us to have an effective personal ministry. Lord, what could be done at Gateway Baptist Church is every single person said, hey, I want to have an effective personal ministry. And that effective personal ministry began to overflow into the church. And all of a sudden, we began to see what you could do here at this church if we were all given, sold out. I pray that you would help us this morning. Guide us and direct us. Be with the invitation. We'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.